The Lord calls us to worship from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. Comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Amen. today, the church, to worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God who made everything that we see, made us, and have created us to be your people, that we might worship you in the beauty of holiness. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon us today, that everything that we do would be to glorify you, to raise up the name and the goodness of our God. And Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to comfort our hearts with the gospel, that we would be reminded of your faithfulness and your covenant love to us and how you are true to yourself in all that you do. And Lord, we join our hearts together as your people now and pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. morning for our confession of faith, we're going to be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. 
I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. As we continue to worship, turn in your hymnal to number 201. We'll sing together, O Little Town of Bethlehem.
seated. And the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. It's good to see you. Does anybody know how many candles we have lit on the table? Can you count them? Three? Okay, does anybody know what the third candle represents? Grace? Faith? Do you know who this particular candle is for? The shepherds. It's called, it's uh, known as the shepherd's candle. And I wanted to share some verses with you uh, from Luke chapter 2 about why this is called the shepherd's candle and why that's significant today. In Luke chapter 2, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Listen to this. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Just from reading that, who sent the angel to speak to the shepherds that night? God did. So whose message was it then that the angel gave? It was God's message. They didn't come up with it on their own. It was God's message to tell them a Savior has been born. And if you were a shepherd, and maybe some of you have chores that you do outside, probably not too many of them that you do at night, but if you went outside one night, and you were taking care of some of your animals, and all of a sudden there was a visitor from heaven in the skies, you would take note. And then after that angel spoke, do you remember what it said? Who else was there? A multitude. A multitude. And this is just part of the heavenly host. It didn't say the whole heavenly host, but a multitude of the heavenly host was there praising God. What those shepherds learned that night was, That God loves even insignificant people like us. They were not the most important. They were not the most influential or the most wealthy. These were people that had the menial job of taking care of sheep. Making sure they didn't hurt themselves. That they went to places that had good water and good grass to eat. And didn't go over a cliff or hurt themselves or get caught by an animal. What this should tell us this morning is that God sends His good message of the gospel, the good news to us, lowly sinners, people who need to hear of the love of Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us this morning that we would have the same joy in our hearts this Christmas season that the baby Jesus came for us to die for our sins. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that we may come to you as our Heavenly Father and pray to you. And I pray now with our covenant children, Lord, that you would Put joy in their hearts this Christmas season as they celebrate Advent at home, as they go through the Christmas traditions that we love and enjoy 
I pray, Lord, that you would put in their hearts a great joy and delight that Jesus, the Son of God, has come into the world to save me, that he loves me and that he cares for me and that he guides me every day to walk in his ways. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story that's recorded in the Bible to remind us that you come even for us. Even if men don't know our name, you do. And you have written it in your book. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, uh, please turn in your hymnal to page 824. We're going to be reading Psalm 107, verses 1 to 22. On page 824. I'll begin with the light portion, and please respond out loud together with the bold. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those He redeemed from the hand of the foe. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for men. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains. So he subjected them to bitter labor. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them from their distress. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for men. Amen. Let's stand together now and sing together hymn number 211, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen.
This morning for our pastoral prayer time, we're going to pray for Brennan and Becca McCafferty, two of our missionaries. Um, pray for them specifically. They shared in their update video that we watched several months ago that they are um, and were expecting a baby. And we want to pray for them. There have been some um, challenges with that. And just want to pray that the Lord would, would keep uh, the baby safe and mom healthy and uh, deliver according to the time that the Lord has appointed for them, and uh, that He would continue to sustain them in their work of ministry that they're doing as they serve the Lord in another country. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank You that we may lift up our hearts to You today as Your people, the church. That we may bring to You the petitions and the cares of our souls. That we acknowledge before You and in no way desire to cover up the sinfulness of our sin in your presence. And we thank you and praise you that the Lord Jesus, who we just sang about, and who we have gathered together today to lift up and to worship, that that Savior came for us, your people, that we might be delivered from our sins. We thank you and praise you that Jesus paid the ultimate price for us, being the one who came into the world to save us from our sins. Lord, we thank you for his perfect sacrifice and that it is acceptable on our behalf in your presence and that because of him in a way that we do not understand completely, you say that we are righteous in him. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we give you honor and glory. Lord, as we come to you and pray for the McCafferty's, we pray, Lord, that you would give them sustaining grace in this time as they trust you as a family to bring their baby into the world. Lord, we pray that you would bless their pregnancy, that mom and baby would be fine, that she would carry to term according to the date that you have chosen for them to welcome another family member, another covenant child in their home. Lord, we pray that all of the medical staff that will be involved, that um, they would have great wisdom and that you would give the McCafferty's patience and hope and trust in you, that you do have your hand upon them. And as they asked us for prayer many months ago that they would have wisdom whether to have their baby in country there or to come back home, Lord, we pray that you would help them to remain steadfast in their faith, not doubting you in the midst of this trial. And Lord, we do pray that you would bless their work there, that you would help them to invest in the time that they have spent in learning the language and investing in other people. Lord, we pray that you would help them to be sowing seeds for the gospel that lives would be changed, that people who have never heard of Jesus will hear of His name through their love and affection for you, and that they will cry out to you, the living God, that they would be delivered from lies or half-truths and partial truths that they may have heard in their culture, in the land that they live in. Lord, we pray that you would give deliverance in the name of Jesus, that there would be names added to the role in heaven. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you that we have a participation in their ministry of preaching the gospel and sharing the love of Jesus with someone in other countries that we in this world may never meet, but we will spend eternity with in heaven. We thank you and praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.
to invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 5 through 25 this morning. Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. This is the word of the Lord. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived. And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. It is his living and breathing word to us. Today is the third Sunday in the Advent season, and our series, Unto Us a Child is Born, as we look at the story of the angel's visit with Zacharias and how God did a miraculous work in Elizabeth. Our sermon is entitled The King, the Angel, and the Prophet. And just a reminder, as we have gone through now two Sundays, and this is our third Sunday in Advent, Advent is a short four-week season to prepare our hearts for the reality of Christmas joy, that the Savior has come, the long-awaited Savior, 
And the birth stories that we've looked at these first two weeks, in the prior two weeks we looked at Abraham and Sarah having faith against all odds that God could give them a child because of the oldness of their age and the barrenness of her womb. And yet God promised, I will give you a son. I will make your name great. I will make your descendants as the starry host of heaven. And He did it. He gave them a son, Isaac. Last week we looked at Hannah's prayer and her pledge to God that if you give me a son, I will give him to you all the days of your life. All the, excuse me, all the days of his life. And so this morning we fast forward through quite many years from that answer to prayer that God gave to Hannah. And we fast forward all the way to Luke chapter 1. In Israel, there had been 400 years of silence from God. He had not spoken. No prophet was raised up. It was utter silence, it seemed, from God. There were no spiritual lights. It's why the book of Isaiah says that the people of God were walking in darkness when the great light shone. Because just as it is dark, if God does not say, let there be light in the book of Genesis, so it was that until He said, let there be light, when Jesus would come into the world, the people were walking in darkness. But when that true light came, it shone. And the gospel of truth was being proclaimed, just as we heard in the children's sermon this morning, that the shepherds were filled with joy. Our hearts should be filled with joy that Jesus has come into the world the first time. That He came to do what the Father promised He would do. And our hearts should be set with firm hope upon His second coming, because He promised He would come. And we should not delay in our hearts to give to Him all love and joy and affection that one day He is coming again as He promised. As Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. One preacher said, God is about to turn the lights on again. Get ready. He's coming. So the sermon is entitled, The King, the Angel, and the Prophet. Briefly, just a bit about the king here. And it's easy to pass over this, but it's significant that it says in verse 5 that this was taking place in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Herod was a man who had might and power. He was someone who did rule. There was a lot that he was responsible for. He was known as Herod the Great, but he was also known as a cruel ruler. So to call him Herod the Great was really about what he built and what he managed, the things that he was responsible for, but not for his character, not for who he was as a man. Herod was a nasty, mean piece of work. By any standard at all, he was not what you and I would call a nice person. He was tyrannical, he was cruel to his people, he was suspicious of others, and he was vindictive. When he didn't know which end was up, he chose violence. Edersheim, the commentator, says that as long as he lived, no woman's honor was safe and no man's life was secure. The word on the street was that it was safer to be Herod's pig than it was to be one of Herod's sons. He was absolutely detested by his people. They abhorred the deeds of cruelty that he did. And as in Matthew chapter 2, we read in the, the birth narrative of Jesus... He ordered the massacre of all boys two years old and younger on a whim because the wise men didn't come back and tell him where they found baby Jesus. So instead of dealing with it a different way, he decides every young boy two years old and younger in Bethlehem and any of its surrounding provinces 
We will just kill all of them. And even secular history, recording about the deeds of Herod the Great, records that his vengeance and his cruelty and his bloodshed were so out of proportion and so large and significant and broad-sweeping that even the Jewish historians, Christians aside, do not even mention in their writings the atrocities of the murder of the innocents in Matthew chapter 2. It was simply lost in the vast scheme of all the atrocities that he did during his reign. Can you imagine writing out something like that from the history books? How could you not point out the death of all those babies? Because he was so atrocious. It was just part and parcel of what he did. So this king, despite all the appearances, despite all of his power and all of the darkness of that time, what would be easy to think as we read those words that in the days of of Herod the Great, in the days that he was king over Judea, you might think, God is gone. He has left. There is no reason for hope in God's land and God's people. Despite all the appearances, God was at work though. In the darkness, in the tragedy, in their pain and the loss, even in that time when those babies were lost, God was working. He was moving. It's Not hard at all to understand why some people may have wondered, and even some of the conversation around the tables as they ate, where is God? Will He help us? Has He finally forgotten us, His people? What about all the promises? What about all the words that our our grandparents' grandparents told us to remember about all the promises He made through the prophets? And now even in... These ways we may be inclined to ask some of the same questions because pain pushes buttons for us. Grief presses our hearts in. It closes us in. It hems us in on every side and it must be answered. We're wondering, where are you? Don't you see me, your servant, suffering? Why? In John Piper's Devotion called Solid Joys, he says this about pain. The confidence that a sovereign God governs for your good all the pain and all the pleasure that you endure, that you will ever experience in this life, is an incomparable refuge and security and hope and power in your life. That is a solid rock. That's a foundation. That the sovereign God governs all of the joys And all of the sorrows of your life. That He's using them for His glory and for your good. There is no pain that is outside of the stretch of His arm. And there is no pleasure. Good pleasures that He has given His people. That are not gifts and reminders of covenant love. My pains are from Him. My bad days, the worst days, are reminders. He's on the throne. Look in verse 5 through 7. It says that Zacharias was a priest. As we think about God working even in the darkness, it says that Zacharias was a priest of the division of Abijah and that his wife Elizabeth was of the house of Aaron. In the Old Testament, these are significant things. This means that God has put together two people of the house of Aaron, of the priestly line of people whom God designated when Moses was ruling God's people. This is a covenant heritage. What you should hear and understand and read when you read these words is that God is being faithful. He's preserved a family through generations. 
We don't have time to go into it this morning, but in the history of the Old Testament, the divisions of the priesthood were 24 in total. And because of the passage of time and the enemies of God's people and the the faithlessness of God's people, those divisions were destroyed all the way down to four. And so among those four, in this intertestament time, between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, as we're reading in the book of Luke, they were brought down all the way to four. And it was uncommon for a priest, because this was a once in a lifetime thing for a priest to go in and burn incense. You did it one time in your life and you never were called upon again. There were many priests who never did this job. And according to the Lord's providence, he sent Zacharias in that day. He was there. He was moving. God was working in their life. It says that they were both righteous before God. As I read those words and I thought about what that meant, what it means to say that about a husband and a wife, can you imagine the love and joy in that home? Maybe you can. Maybe you can recognize and see that it is not by happenstance that husband and wife love the Lord, that they walk before Him in obedience. And maybe some of the reasons we recognize this as being such a joy is because there are many of us who see other families, or maybe it's us ourselves, where we are not walking step for step with our husband or with our wife. And so this is a reminder to us of the pain that we endure, or that we see family members or loved ones walking through, what it means for us to not be walking hand in hand. Loving the Lord. It says here they did. But I believe one of the reasons that they walked in God's commandments certainly was because of His love and faithfulness. But one of the reasons they record it here is because they were living by faith. They were trusting in the Lord. And I think Luke the writer gives us these details so that we wouldn't have an inclination in our minds that Zacharias must have been one of those priests that was a little bit slack. He must have been like those in the Old Testament who didn't obey God, who didn't follow Him. And so here we have a testimony of judgment because Elizabeth isn't able to have babies. But we just read, God gave it to us in His Word. I want you to remember, I don't act that way. I don't treat my people that way. They are walking before me in righteousness and holiness. And I have chosen, up until this time, to close Elizabeth's womb. I'm doing it for my purposes It is difficult to look at life and look at your circumstance and say, God, why am I going through this? And then to come to a passage like this and see it wasn't about them actually, it was about Him. He had an agenda. He had a story that He was writing and He chose to write it through their lives. It says that they were both old, that Elizabeth was well advanced in years. And bells and whistles ought to be going off in our heads because it's the same kind of language that was used when Abraham and Sarai were confronted with the reality of their age and the promise of God. God is about to do something in their life. The king, number one. Number two, the angel. By God's providence, the lot did fall to Zacharias. And he's burning incense in the temple. And he's by himself. No one else is supposed to be in there. And he looks up at the altar and there's an angel standing beside him. And he was amazed. It said that great fear fell upon him. Can you imagine going through generation after generation and no one has a word from the Lord and no one hears anything, not even a peep from God, and you go in doing your normal duty this one time in your whole life where you're privileged to do it. And there's an angel there. And he's going to speak. It says in verse 19, as he's responding 
to some of Zacharias' questions, he says very clearly who he is. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. This is to be good news to you. He says, your prayer, Zacharias, has been heard. And you almost have to wonder, wow, I just prayed. I just offered the incense and now an angel is here in the room with me and he's telling me my prayers have been heard. It's the fastest answer to prayer I've ever heard. Lord, we've been praying all these years. Why didn't he answer us? Why didn't he answer when Elizabeth was still of an age to have children? And he's, it's not likely, thinking about this, that the first thing that came to mind for Zacharias was, we're going to have a baby. Likely he had given up hope in having a baby many years ago. It's likely that he was praying for the peace and consolation of Israel. Lord, be faithful to your covenant. Be faithful to your people. Yes, we are wayward. Yes, we are sinful. But we wait upon the Lord. In your coming. He says your prayer has been heard. And then he says these words to him. Gabriel does. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you will call him John. And it says that it it will bring you joy and gladness. And many will rejoice. If you look over at Luke chapter 1 verse 58. When it says that Elizabeth carried the baby to term and delivered. It says when her neighbors and her relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, that they rejoiced with her. It's a fulfillment of the promise that the angel Gabriel came with the message that God had given. God does what He says He will do. That's one of the things that we should be reminded in this Christmas story. But that's not even the most amazing thing about it. We have the most specific prenatal visit recorded in history. In Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 15. What Gabriel says. And Elizabeth's not in the room. After all. For he, John, will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine being a parent and being told that? Before your baby is born. Your child will be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. God is saying in this passage of Scripture, I am the Lord of life. Nothing is impossible with me. And he will turn the hearts of many children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, the great prophet in the Old Testament, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Who fixes families? Who fixes households? The living God. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. It tells you something of the makeup of the family at that time. Not much different from what we see in our society today. And what is it that we're told is the fix for that? Programs and money and pursuits of other things. If you just add this to your family, fathers... If you just work 10 more hours a week, or if you just do this, mothers, your family will be fine. And the Word of God says, only God fixes families. He turns hearts. He changes lives. He's the one who does it. It's for His glory. Can you imagine hearing this very specific prenatal visit with Gabriel? And he's hearing these words, and what is it that comes to his mind. We see the response of in this story of Zacharias and Elizabeth. In verse 18 to 22, he responds in fear. 
How shall I know this? We're old after all. And he, he wants. And he gets a sign from the angel. He wants a sign. How can I know this? This is not a question like Mary's question later in chapter 2. How could this be since I've never known a man was Mary's question. And the angel responds in, in love and kindness. It seems that her question was a question asked in faith. Lord, this is wonderful news. I don't know how this could be possible. How am I going to know this? But here it seems that Zacharias responds in fear. And maybe even a bit of the same laughter that Sarah gave in the book of Genesis. I'm old. How on earth is this going to happen? Not believing, not hearing the promise. And Gabriel had just said that the, the hopes and fears of all the years... That something is changing. God is moving. Something's about to happen that has not happened in years. And the one question that stumped him is, my wife is old. How is this going to happen? Zacharias' response is almost comical. There's a celestial visitor in his presence has just met him in the temple of God and told him that he will have a son who will fulfill an ancient prophecy about Elijah's coming to prepare the way for the Lord, and yet his first thought is about whether or not his elderly wife can actually get pregnant. Can God do that? Can the God of all the universe do that? If He can fulfill a prophecy many, many generations given before, absolutely He can make elderly women be able to have babies. He absolutely can. In verses 24 and 25, we read of Elizabeth's response to this, of her faith. She says, thus has the Lord dealt with me. It's His power. It's His majesty, His might. He's the one who is doing this. And He is taking away my reproach from among the people. And it says that she stayed at home for five months. And you wonder, well, why is that significant? Why would a woman do that? Wouldn't you think that the first thing she would want to do is be able to go run and tell friends, Guess what the Lord has done for me? But can you imagine being this woman at this time in the society that they lived in? Going all those years, never having a baby. You know, it's just so sad about Elizabeth and Zacharias. She's just not able to to give her husband an heir. Their family life is going to end and no one will carry it on. Everything that they have will be given to someone else. It's just too bad. And so she stays at home for five months. Not because she is weary, not because she's sad about it, but because the next time that she goes, she will be able to testify in the presence of God's people, He did this. He took away my reproach. I didn't do it myself. It wasn't the happenings of a biological process. It was the work of the living God. He put a baby in my belly. Elizabeth is responding in faith. And her response highlights her understanding that God is in control of the womb. And what we see in this passage is the favor of God on Elizabeth and what looks like the disfavor of God on His people. Her experience of grace from God and the disgrace of the people. The two responses are placed side by side for us to see and it focuses the question on Israel. The question is, how will Israel respond later in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 when Jesus, the Savior, the living God, comes into the world? What will be their response when their Messiah comes? 
Will they respond to the divine initiative for God to redeem His people, to remove their shame from among all the nations of the earth? And it poses the question to us, this Advent season, do we believe, do we acknowledge the gracious hand of God in sending Jesus, the Son of God, in the power and the Spirit of God, according to the plan of God the Father? Do we believe in Him? Are we believing that He did everything? Or is it just a little bit that He does for us? Is salvation the work of God? Or is it a 50-50 handoff, handshake that we do? God, You do Your part and I'll do mine. And that will equal salvation. Or is it 100% God alone? He does the impossible. Is anything too impossible for God? That's the question that hangs from Genesis all the way to this Part of the story here. Is God faithful to do what He says? And is He able to do the impossible? So number one, the king. Number two, the angel. And lastly, number three, the prophet. I love this story. I love what it means that Elizabeth and Zacharias received an answer from the Lord even later in life. And we know that Zacharias was a righteous man. This judgment from Gabriel where he says, you will be mute until the time that the baby is born. His lips were freed. His ears were freed. And there was a discussion that took place when they took the baby to be circumcised at the temple. And some of the relatives said, what's the name of the baby going to be? And he can't speak yet. And Elizabeth says, his name is John. And so they look over at the dad and he's, he can't hear anything. He can't say anything. What's the baby's name going to be? And he asked for a writing tablet. And he writes down, his name is John. And it says that the people were amazed. No one in your family had this name. Why would you do this? He's giving glory to God and walking in obedience and faith. And it says then that he bursts forth in song and sings praise to God. Yes, because he answered their prayer, but because he was answering the prayers of his people in sending this son to them, John. Who was John? Why is this significant? And why would it seem that John sometimes occupies a small role in the Advent story? John is none other than the long-awaited forerunner that God promised. This was to say to them, to the people of Israel, to God's chosen people, to those who were waiting for the salvation of God, God is moving. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Listen to these words from the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the days of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. Malachi 3 verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Almost as if the people don't understand they are the ones who've moved. Why would we return to you, Lord? We haven't left. Where did we go? Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, In what way have we wearied Him? In that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. Or, where is the justice of God? In the passage that I read this morning in the Assurance of Pardon, 2 Peter chapter 3, there's a question there. 
where it seems that the people of God in the New Testament had the same idea as they were waiting for the second coming of Jesus. They said, it seems like every day is no different than the day before and the years just keep rolling on. And where is the coming of the Lord? And where is the resurrection? And where are the promises? Will He be faithful? Is He going to do it? And here, John the Baptist comes. And what was his message? He says... I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Get your house in order, dear house of Israel. Your God is coming. Are you ready? That's what he's saying. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 7, verses 27 and 28, speaking about John, in case there was anyone who had any doubt, this man's a hack. He's not a real prophet. He doesn't really have a word from God. He's just taking the chance to use his pulpit to speak. And Jesus says, there is no man born of woman greater than John. But I tell you that he who serves in the kingdom of God is greater than him. He's the greatest last prophet of the Old Testament. And Jesus says that about John. That those who serve God in his kingdom are greater than John. And what is the the meaning of John's message awaiting Israel? What about those who walked in darkness? What does it that he says to him, to them? Well, do your best. Try really hard. Be sure you come to church on Sunday. Be sure you put some money in the offering plate when it goes by. No, He doesn't say any of that stuff. What does He say? He cuts to the quick. He says, repent of your sin. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. It reminds you of James chapter 4, verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. R.C. Sproul wrote a little book. It's a small book. Saved from what? It's a question. And the title ends with a question mark. Why did Jesus come? Why did He come? Why did we celebrate Him at Christmas? We, came, we come here, and He came to save His people from their sins. You are a sinner. In the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure. It's our membership question number one when we accept new members here at Lebanon. Do you believe that? That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to give us a nice holiday to sing beautiful carols and to decorate so beautifully here in the church. He came to save sinners. People whose hearts hate the living God apart from His grace. He came to draw you out of that To give you a new heart that would love Him and walk in His ways. John came preaching a message of urgency. Do not delay. You are not promised tomorrow. He is coming and He waits for no one. Repent today. He said be baptized for the remission of your sins. Not so that the waters would cleanse you. But so that you would appeal to God. Cleanse me. Let this act of obedience that I'm doing. That John's baptism represented. Cleanse my heart. Do the impossible in me, just like Elizabeth could have a baby boy. Keep your promise to me that you'll cleanse my heart and put my name in your book that I might live ever before you. This is the message of preparation and it is an exclusive message. Trust in Jesus alone. That's what God shouts to us in this Advent season. Do not trust in anything else. Lean upon Him, dear believer. He is the strong foundation. He is the Savior of His people. He is the Messiah that they waited for. And He is the Savior who is coming again. And the question that I ask you today, is He coming for you?
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for the beauty of your word. For the beauty of your name that we sing praises to here this morning. Lord, I pray for our people here. That if there is someone here who has believed in something other than the Lord Jesus as their Savior, that you would do work in their heart by your Spirit right now today. Even if it seems awkward, even if it seems out of place, Lord, I pray that you would show yourself mighty, able to save sinners even today. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be comfortable sitting here, lying to ourselves, that sin really is sinister. And that it is after our hearts. And it would love for us to seem to be buddy-buddy and friends with Jesus. Rather than His servants bowing before Him humbly. Lord, do this work in our hearts by Your power. And for Your glory alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we respond to the Word of God. Singing hymn number 218. Angels from the realms of glory.
Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day of worship to be together as Your people. And we thank You for this time to be able to participate and dedicate our offerings and our tithes to You. That You might use them for the sake of the growth of Your kingdom. Lord, we pray that You would bless those who will be blessed by the giving of our gifts. That the gospel will be spread. And Lord, we pray for lost souls who will hear of the deliverance that Jesus came to proclaim. And Lord, we pray that you would give us joy and delight as we give by faith. And we look to you to provide the needs that we have. And we believe that you will do it according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. benediction of our Lord from Numbers chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Amen. Thank you.